Hello, and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 489th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. Greg Brennecker. Staff scientist and cosmochemist at Lawrence Livermore National Lab in Livermore, California. Uh, He is going to talk to us about his book, Impact, How Rocks from Space Led to Life, Culture, and Donkey Kong. Uh, Joining us for the second segment of our show will be our history buffs, Jay Sword and Rick Sweet. To begin with, we'd like to welcome Dr. Greg to the show. Hi, nice to be here. <laughs> um, thank you for very much joining us, Greg. Uh, we're looking very, very forward to talk to you about your book. Um, we call this first segment of the show Fadruk Tanaran, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on the st- of your book with the structure of the early solar system and the role, role meteors, uh, meteors, meteors, if I can read right, played in it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I guess when I, you know, was in, in school, uh, I knew that meteorites probably were something that, you know, killed the dinosaurs. And that's pretty much all I really knew about them. And I think that's probably where a lot of uh, people in the general public kind of forget about meteorites. They just, okay, that's, that's what they contributed to our society is killing the dinosaurs. Um, but they did a lot more for us than that. You know, if people, you know, you look at your cell phones, you look at all the high-end electronics that are around, the reasons we have those metals are from meteorites. Uh, you know, if you follow any religion, basically, uh, a lot of religions on the planet, including the two most popular religions, uh, you know, have major inflection points from, from meteorites. Uh, you know, so they played a major role in those. And then, of course, life on Earth. Um, you know, we wouldn't have life on Earth as it is right now, if at all, if it weren't for meteorites. So I like to think they're, they're pretty uh, relevant to today's uh, world, for sure. Okay, um... Could you explain to our listeners, because we, of course, uh, look at our world with our Earth kind of mental grand scale. These are things that nature does on this planet that doesn't do on this planet. And then you have objects from outer space that totally throw our standard of understanding off base. Uh, Wasn't it a couple weeks ago where they thought that they had discovered or, or... something from an asteroid different from a meteorite i understand but hit the planet and they're looking for it in the bottom of the ocean because they think it's a of an element that is the hardest ever discovered or or more um, dense than anything that's ever been put on earth so you as a scientist how do you sit there and scale this stuff being that it is not in our normal earthly scale or standard well i think that's what makes meteorites so cool um is that you know they're not on earth you know everything on earth we have you know reasonable access to uh you know we can you can go to different parts of the world to find different types of rocks and you know different ore deposits and things like that but when you talk about you know things that are really different uh you know you got to go to outer space and you know there are things that are four and a half billion years old that have never melted uh you know these contain snapshots of the early solar system and not just interesting things uh from a raw material standpoint but also just history i mean we really learn about deep history uh, and the history of the solar system from looking at meteorites Okay. Um, another aspect, of course, that we have with meteorites or other uh, items that come from space is force and speed. So could you give our listeners a minute? Of course, we sit there and think of the forces of power um, 
on our Earth, but of course the items from outer space play by totally different rules. Uh, and that, I think, always intrigues a lot of people, especially in science fiction. Um, how do you guys look at that uh, and try and judge it, if I may ask? Well, I mean, you know, everything in space is basically in a deep freeze. And, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's extremely cold in outer space and everything plays by the rules of gravity. Um, so, you know, whereas on Earth we worry about, uh, you know, climate and we worry about, you know, if it's going to rain or not. Uh, you know, that's certainly not what meteorites are, are you, know, in, you know, experiencing in, in outer space. Um, so I think, you know, being able to understand the environments that exist in outer space uh, by looking at meteorites, uh, that, you know, they contain signatures of, of what has happened in the past and what are currently happening uh, in, in outer space. Um, so I think, I think that's just one of the cool things about studying meteorites is being able to look at the different environments that exist, you know, in our stellar neighborhood even. Okay, so if you're going to, as your book is doing, um, bringing the topic matter to the reader, how did you uh, establish this in your very beginning of the book? Because as you said uh, in the introduction, we always think of meteorites as, you know, killing off the dinosaurs, but it's so, so much more vast than that. Right. And, you know, I call the book Impact because, you know, the double meaning, obviously people think about, you know, the being hit by a meteorite, they may be, may be worried about that. You know, luckily for us, no human has ever really been recorded as being hit by a meteorite. But just, you know, the, the scale of influence that they've had on the planet uh, is, is kind of why I wanted to, to get that across. And, and, you know, like I said in the intro, uh, you know, bringing raw materials that created life, uh, bringing raw materials that allow us to make high-end electronics, uh, you know, those are, those are things that are lasting and extremely important for human culture. Uh, and I think uh, that's what's so cool about them. Okay, again, in your introduction, you also said that two of the world's most profound and influential religions um, have this uh, meteorites in their past. Could you give a little more clarification to our listeners, the religions and how they um, were impacted by meteorites? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Christianity and Islam are the two most followed religions on the planet. And, uh, you know, in the, in the case of Christianity, it, it's almost a certainty that it would not exist in its current form if it weren't for meteorite influence. And, you know, one of the main reasons for that is uh, St. Paul, uh, who basically was, was one of the early, you know, uh, probably the most influential advocate for Christianity after turning to Christianity. And what, what turned him to Christianity uh, was a meteoritic airburst. And the story goes that he was, you know, uh, traveling to, to basically round up some Christians because he didn't like them. Uh, and then he was suddenly knocked off his horse by a, a flashing light and went blind for a, a little bit of time. And then, you know, eventually converted to Christianity and became its probably most influential evangelist. Uh, and and it, it, there's very good evidence that that was an, a meteoritic airburst that actually caused him to fall off the horse and, and go blind for a few days, because that actually happened recently in, in 2013 uh, with uh, the airburst of, of Shelyabinsk in Russia. Uh, we saw a lot of people were blinded for a few days. Uh, this peeling came off the eye, just like in the historical documents uh, of, of St. Paul. So, you know, that's that's one one story. Uh, you know, the Star of Bethlehem is, is probably a comet, uh, so that's not necessarily a meteorite, but, but certainly some meteoritic influence. Uh, you know, there are a lot of stories kind of woven woven in uh, different parts of the Bible uh, that suggest meteoritic influence, uh, but probably the most important being St. Paul's conversion. And Islam? 
Islam, yes. So, you know, a lot of people that follow the religion travel to Mecca uh, to, to worship at the Kaaba. And uh, one, of the, one of the literal cornerstones of that uh, is thought to be a meteorite. Uh, and if it's not a meteorite, it is rock that was created from a meteorite impact. Uh, and, and that is, is thought to be, you know, the most important relic in the entire religion. Um, so certainly that has uh, a major, major influence on, on Islam as well. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Special thanks to Cookies and Dreams for being a supporter of KALA. Cookies and Dreams is located in downtown Davenport, Bettendorf by the TBK Betplex, and Coralville, Iowa River Landing, and more locations coming to the Chicago area and Ankeny, Iowa. Cookies and Dreams has a new flavor every Friday. Delivery options include Chow Now, with more options available soon. Thank you again to Cookies and Dreams for being a KALA supporter. You can find Cookies and Dreams on Facebook and Instagram. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today's show is Dr. Greg Brenica, staff scientist and cosmos chemist at Lawrence Livermore National Lab in Lawrence, California, and we're talking about his book, Impact, How Rocks from Space Led to Life, Culture, and Donkey Kong. Our history bus for today's show are Rick Sweet and Jay Swords. And Rick, since we all know you love rocks, uh, why don't you start us off? And I do have a few meteorites, Fortunately, they're not the metal ones, but hey, what the hey, they're, they're meteorites. <laughs> okay. Greg, couple, uh, it's actually a two-part thing. When you talk about meteorites, are you including all those rocks that accreted over the, what, the 500 million or 250 million years that created the planet Earth, or um, uh, is that, am I correct in that assumption? So, so I'm not. I'm not even considering the material that built Earth as meteorites. So, you know, I, I would consider anything after Earth's formation uh, to be, you know, something coming from the outside uh, would be a meteorite. Um, so, so basically, you know, the, basically, the planets formed, and these are rocks that are hitting it. And that brings up the the second thing uh, you mentioned in, in your book about delivering meteorites delivered organic molecules that probably. Uh, at least laid the foundation for kick-starting life on the planet. Is is that fairly correct in assumption? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, so, you know, I think it's really interesting when you look at, at certain types of meteorites uh, that formed in outer space, you know, kind of beyond the orbit of Saturn, uh, you know, where there's a lot of water and, and kind of not high temperatures, really low temperatures. Uh, you're able to form these organic molecules uh, because of the UV radiation that is coming from the sun and its interaction with the different molecules that exist in space. And it's just fascinating to me to no end that these are captured and stored in meteorites uh, and then delivered to Earth, and they've you know been delivered since basically after Earth formed uh, until present day. We're we're still receiving meteorites that contain these uh, you know organic molecules that formed four and a half billion years ago, or or you know something like that in, in deep space. Um, so you know they did provide ingredients for the biosphere to basically develop on Earth. Jay, I think for some of us at least, it's a little hard to get a sense of scale. So 
one thing I, I'm going to assume is true is that we had more meteorites striking the Earth early in Earth's history than we do now. But then give us some sense of you know, how many meteorites are, is it estimated we're bombarding early Earth carrying all of this material that, that is going to become so important to us? Well, that is a correct assumption. We were being bombarded a lot more early on in Earth's history. Um, and, and even so today, we still get about 100 tons of extraterrestrial material added to Earth. That's every day we get 100 tons. So, uh, you know, most of that's in the form of, of small meteorites, uh, micrometeorites and things that we can't really see. But still, there's a lot of material that's raining down every day. And when we talk about in the past, we're looking at, uh, you know, many, many more times that, maybe a thousand times more than that. Um, because, you know, the, the solar system was just starting to figure itself out. And uh, the gravitational dances associated with the giant planets and, and uh, the sun were kind of moving stuff around a lot. So that's why there was such a higher flux early on. Um, but yeah, we were receiving lots and lots of material early on in the solar system, and you know we still get quite a bit today. Um, I read at one time, Greg, that uh, one of the factors that help us also exist is is that the larger planets, um, as you were talking about Saturn, Jupiter, and others, their gravitational pull um, pulls a lot of the stuff that we might normally get like of, uh, away because they have a greater force. Um, I read this somewhere. Is that true? And has that kind of, as you were kind of alluding before, it's impacted with, you know, uh, starting life, but it has also kept us from being bombarded at even a greater level. Is that true? Yeah, so we really look at you know Jupiter uh, and Saturn as as really important protectors for us. Uh, and you know early on in solar system history, there you know like I said, the planets were trying to figure out their proper orbits. Uh, so things are getting flung at the Earth and, and all the inner solar system at a very high rate. And that's actually how we have a moon uh, is because we were hit by probably one of these things that was flying around uh, you know during that that giant planet migration. Uh, so you know the moon was created by a giant meteorite hitting the Earth, and then and the moon formed from the debris of that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's certainly good for us that that's not happening on a regular basis now because, you know, it would be hard to have a radio show if we were getting, you know, flash melted uh, <laughs> by, by huge meteorites that are hitting the planet all the time. So Our uh, producer could somehow pull it off, though. He, he's <laughs> well, pretty adroit. No yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah hey, Rick. <laughs> the ingenuity, yeah, uh, yeah he, he's got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave could clean it up, no yeah, No doubt. <laughs> Greg, uh, uh, as Jupiter and Saturn swept up material, uh, which I, I believe that's their gravity wells, uh, we're still getting, as you say, 100 tons or 1,000 tons of, of rocks coming out. Where are they coming from now? Uh, a lot of them come from the asteroid belt. Um, so this is just a, you know, a kind of a gathering of material uh, that is in between the orbits of, of Mars and Jupiter. And, uh, you know, it's... It, People look at it as kind of a failed planet, but that's not really what it is. It's really just the sweepings of all the failed planets, uh, you know, because you've got stuff that formed in the inner solar system and you've got stuff that formed in the outer solar system, all kind of swept into one band. Uh, and that's just based on the gravity, uh, you know, kind of dance that we have. It, it's a favorable area for material to be and not fly into the sun. Uh, occasionally, those things run into each other and get out of gravitational orbit, and that's when they, you know, go towards the sun, and sometimes Earth gets in the way. Okay. Jay. So I'm interested, you, you hinted in our first segment that um, lots of rare earth or rare metals, rare, rare materials, um, things like that, trace metals, um, 
are are actually here because of asteroids. I, I think for some folks, it's it's you know why is that the case? Why why wouldn't Earth have had its fair share, so to speak, of all of these exotic sorts of metals and things? Why did it need asteroids to to uh, provide that? What's going on in the solar system and the way that the universe works that 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 worked out to be the case? So that's a, that's a really great question. Uh, and the reason is, or excuse me, the, the answer is, is that we had all those things and we still have them, but they're all inaccessible in the core. So the, the reason that, that we have all those media or those, that material, uh, but it's in the core is due to melting uh, because the earth is large and it formed, uh, you know, with a lot of heat. And then of course it had the, the moon forming impact. It melted and uh, a whale, the chemistry of those uh, metals that we care a lot about in high-end electronics are such that they go into the core of the Earth, and the core is essentially inaccessible to humans. Um, so the reason we have access to those metals is that after the Earth solidified, uh, it was still being bombarded by meteorites, and that metal then was able to basically stay on the surface for us to then mine. Uh, you know, had it not had that refresher of, of material that kept coming in, we would just simply not have access to gold, platinum, palladium, you know, a lot of the high-end electronics uh, required metals. Okay, um, we'll take it from a different perspective, but I read in the New York Times that they're trying to now start mining, um, and the big question is, of course, the uh, uh, the ecology of it all, um, or possibly the biological ramifications, but they're not starting to try to mine uh, in the waters, uh, in the oceans, where they say that there are, are minerals that are much more accessible and greater amounts, but of course, how is that going to impact the um, the biological life around it? Um, in doing this, are they going to find like more metals that you're talking about that because uh, they're in deeper spots, or is this pretty much going to be the same that we've had access to anyway? You know, it's interesting because a lot of the things are talking about mining in the the oceans are like these little uh, nodules that form very, very slowly in uh, the ocean floor. Um, so those metals are just part of our normal crustal rocks, but they just end up concentrating on those little spherules. So um, it would just still be the same types of metal that were delivered from the uh, from the meteorites over time, uh, but it's just been mobilized and been been kind of dissolved in seawater until until it collects in those crusts. Okay, Rick. Yeah, Greg, uh, your um, book title is Impact How Rocks from Space Led to Life Culture in Donkey Kong. Uh, we've talked about life, you know, as far as the uh, organic molecules. And you touched on in the introduction on uh, a part of culture. What role uh, have meteors played in, in other significant cultural developments, you know, uh, I'm thinking of who's the premier or the dictator or who wins or loses a war, things like that. Can you uh, give us an example of impact on culture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so you look at you know some of the earliest cultures, uh, Anatolia, Egypt, uh, they all had you know, uh, aspects of worshiping the sun or meteorites. Uh, there was a, a temple in ancient Egypt called Heliopolis that was uh, basically, you know, for, for sun worship. Uh, and the main main stone that they worshipped was was thought to be a meteorite. There's a lot of drawings of it and such. Um, but then over time, you know, you look at Genghis Khan. Uh, you know, he was he was uh, influenced 
uh, allegedly by you know meteoritic material that was was flying in. He decided to attack that direction. Uh, you know, so ended up going to Europe. Uh, you look at some of the you know major major battles in European history, uh, and they were influenced by cometary material or or the falls of, of various meteorites. Um, so you know they have they've definitely influenced a lot of different cultures over a large time span. Uh, and, you know, people always look to outside sources, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, some sort of weather event or religion or, you know, uh, you know, something something that happens, uh, you know, in, in nature that then can, you know, dictate where they do their next event. Uh, you know, ancient China has had this happen uh, multiple times. So, you know, you look at basically any culture uh, that has spanned a great amount of time and there's been a lot of influence from from different uh, kind of cosmic events. Jay. So I'm going to kind of pull you back to to the uh, the geology and and then sort of extrapolate from that. Um, we have had at least one meteor strike that um, or asteroid strike that that threatened um, life on Earth. Uh, I just saw um, just recently there was uh, a successful nudge of an, an asteroid um, out of what may have been a collision with Earth. Um, I know that there is uh, there's actually a department that it, within the government within NASA that's looking for these near Earth objects um, and so forth and so on. So. So talk to us a little bit about the range of how meteors function when they hit the atmosphere and, and what kinds of things, you know, how, how great of a quote-unquote risk are there for large strikes that, that would have some sort of at least um, regional or civilization impacting uh, effect? Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, go back to Rick said he had a couple of meteorites, but they weren't the, uh, the iron types. Uh, so a lot of it depends on what type of meteorite it is. Of course, you know, an iron meteorite is something that's extremely solid. It's just a chunk of iron and nickel, essentially. Um, and, you know, something like that is going to survive almost unscathed as it goes through the atmosphere. Uh, you know, so something like that coming in at 300, the time, 300 times the speed of a bullet, uh, regardless of its size, uh, is going to you know, punch a pretty good hole in the, in the planet. Uh, there are other types of things like comets uh, that are, you know, kind of loosely agglomerated. Uh, they've got a lot of water in them, so they kind of break up a lot uh, as they enter the atmosphere. So they may cause a, a large shock wave or something like this, but sometimes they, they blow up and uh, you don't end up with a lot of material left over. So a lot of it depends on what type of, of rock that actually is, is hitting the planet um, and also where it hits the planet. It, it causes different types of damage if it hits, you know, on a, uh, you know, a continental shelf versus a mountain versus, you know, in the middle of the ocean. Um, so, you know, luck has a pretty big, uh, pretty big aspect of it, too. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. So and just I like as, your, your, yeah. your, uh, your comment about the DART mission, which I think is a really fantastic timing because, you know, this is something that NASA certainly cares about. You know, Hollywood had a lot of movies about this in the early 90s about Armageddon and such. Um, you know, but, but this is put into practice. We're, we're trying to figure out ways to defend ourselves if we find something that's coming right at us. And the DART mission was certainly a test for that. And I would say a very successful uh, test indeed. Just as a follow-up then, when's the last significant meteor or asteroid strike? Um, I guess that's going to depend on what you consider significant. Uh, you know, there was a woman taking a nap in the 1960s. It was hit in the hip. It didn't kill her, but it gave her a pretty good bruise. So, uh, you know, she would consider that one significant. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, but, but, you know, there's only been a couple people that have been hit by, by meteorites and none directly, uh, you know, large kind of, you know, civilization ending ones. We haven't really had any, there was, you know, meteor crater, uh, in Northern Arizona is, is probably one of the most famous, uh, preserved meteorite impacts. Uh, you know, that it can be debated on when that happened, but it was, it was probably 10,000 years ago or something like that. Uh, while it didn't cause any, you know, climate changes, uh, you know, from that impact or anything like that, it was a pretty big deal for the people in the area for sure. Um, so luckily we haven't had any massive ones that are, you know, uh, you know, impacting the entire planet, uh, in the last million years or so, but, uh, you know, these things, you know, just wait, I guess. <laughs> Greg, how about the Russians back in 1908 when they, right. uh, uh, had a forest that got, uh, laid flat? Yeah, uh, Tunguska, exactly. Yeah, that's another great example of, of, a, of a large, and that was probably, again, one of these meteoritic airbursts, so we've never actually recovered material from that. Um, so it could have been a comet or something like that that came in and then and then blew up and, and everything blew up to fine bits and we never found the, the real cause for it. But it leveled, just like you said, forests, uh, you know, the size of, I think, Connecticut, Rhode Island, something like that, just totally leveled it. Luckily, there were, you know, it's the middle of Siberia, so there's not a lot of people living there, but it definitely, yes. it killed some caribou from, from what I've read. Uh, <laughs> oh, poor caribou. Um, I know, I know. Yeah, it's, you know, it. okay, it is customary for us <laughs> to give our guests the last words on the show. Uh, yours is kind of a two-part. Why do you think knowing about the effects of meteors on both Earth and human development is relevant today? And the second part is, can you tie in why you chose Donkey Kong in your title and give our listeners, I mean, was this a game that beat you badly when you were a kid? You wanted vengeance or what? Well, you know, maybe I don't I'll, You know what? I'll start with that part because, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of old school video games. Okay. Uh, and I thought, uh, you know, Donkey Kong was one I spent some time playing uh, and, it wouldn't exist if it weren't for meteorites. So I guess I have I have meteorites to thank because you know I like to consider Donkey Kong high-end electronics as, uh, as I discussed earlier. Um, so that's why I put Donkey Kong in the title is because I've always been a big fan. And I will say, you know, if there are any Mario Kart fans out there, I, I play Diddy Kong when I'm playing Mario Kart. So uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> hardcore hardcore no joke. hardcore all right exactly. so why do you about knowing the effect on meteors uh meteorites on both earth and human development why is it relevant today well, you know what? I think it's just really cool to have a basic understanding of our surroundings and our origins and you know, I can't think of anything, maybe I'm a bit biased, but may, I can't think of anything that has, has had a bigger influence on the planet than being able to build the planet, being able to, you know, bring life on, being able to provide in the ingredients for, for life, uh, you know, for, for cell phones, uh, you know, so, so I guess I, I may be a bit biased, but, uh, but I would say meteorites are one of the, the most important things that we've had over the course of the entire solar system, uh, and, and something I feel have been pretty ignored, uh, which is why I decided to write the book. Um, so that's what I would uh, say is my last word, I guess. Okay, we got one more minute. Jay, why do you think it's relevant? I, I think, again, we have a tendency to think that, that the Earth and everything on it just sort of popped into existence and is here for our use and benefit. And we don't appreciate the idea that there are systems at work that have been driving this sort of thing. Um, so I, I think for that reason, if nothing else, it's relevant just to understand that there are larger forces than humanity at work in so many areas that we take for granted. Okay, Rick, for 30 seconds, why do you think so? Oh, just that uh, piggybacking on Jay's comment, uh, 
the time span and the distances traveled just in our solar system are beyond our comprehension. And that's why I think understanding the source and the impact and the evolution of understanding meteors is, is critical. And I agree, and plus, I could never get Mario to jump over the two barrels. So uh, we're, we're going to come back and wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 489th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show titled Kayla's Theme was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. would like to thank our guests, Dr. Greg Brennica, staff scientist and cosmochemist at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab in, uh, in Livermore, California. We also would like to talk about his book, Impact, How Rocks and Space Led to Life, Culture, and Donkey Kong. The history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Jay Swords. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.